Welcome to the next podcast from Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me today for this episode with Kathy Anderson from Hats by Kat. Kathy joins us from her studio in New York City at the centre of the Garment District. I'd like to thank our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Lifted Millinery, Hat Mags, Hat Language, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, House of Adorn, but Unique Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, The Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, and we're thrilled to welcome Hats by Lego to our sponsorship lineup. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes, either through your podcast app or on our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers available, a podcast sponsor or supporter. You can find out more or sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash millinerymfo. I hope you enjoy this episode with Kath. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining me today on the Millinery Info podcast. It's wonderful to have you as part of our series. I'd love to hear to start off with, how did you first become involved in millinery? It's kind of a crazy story. I, I worked in the fashion industry and I was a, a buyer in production. And so after my son was born, I decided just to go back to FIT and take some classes. So the first class I think I took was uh, Silk Flowers. And I just happened to see millinery and I think the first class was sewing uh, flat patterns and I sew. So I said, oh, well, I could do that. And I took the classes and fell in love. And I took each class, I think like three times. <laughs> so I kept repeating because they had required four classes and I didn't feel like four classes was enough to make you qualified as a melanin. Fantastic. So that's how it happened. <laughs> and did you do um, blocking while you were at FIT? Or I did. just flat pattern? Yeah. Uh, flat pattern, blocking, uh, bridal. And at that time, they was teaching how to make uh, fur cuffs. So oh, I wow. also learned how to work with fur. Oh, who was teaching at that time? Uh, Anna Brizio was my instructor. Nora Navarro and Janet Linville, who's still there. And I believe Sandra Wilcott taught the fur class. Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from there, you now have your own label. So what were the next steps towards you launching that? Well, that's kind of, um, I was working in the fashion industry, like I said, and yeah. I got laid off my job in 2009. So it just, and I never wanted to make hats to sell. I was just doing it for myself because I had a job. So it's easy for you to stick with what you're doing. So after I lost my job, I say, well, I make hats. I could sell hats. <laughs> so I just decided um, to go through the uh, yellow pages and I found uh, the hat shop. Yes. Uh, Linda, Payne, uh, Linda Pagan on and I called her and said um, I'm a milliner I make hats can I come see you you know to show <laughs> you some of my hats and she was so nice and, and invited me and taught me a lot about millinery. 
It's amazing. Yeah. And and were you wearing hats yourself at that time as well as making them? Um, I did, but um, I wasn't a big hat wearer. Actually, when I was coming up, you know, it was always about the hair. So when my mother would, you know, I was like, well, I'm cute. I didn't want to put a hat on my head. <laughs> so it, it wasn't. So I really tell people I didn't really start wearing hats till I was about 35. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what style of hats do you make at the moment? I make every style that I can think. Only ones I haven't dabbled in is bridal. I made a piece for class, but I do casual hats. I do block hats. I love fascinators because it allows you to really be creative. And it was actually Linda Pagan that said to me, well, I have customers that like small hats. And I was like, small hats? (laughs) And from there, I started making fascinators and I just fell in love because you could be crazy with a fascinator and I like crazy. And how do you go about sourcing your materials for the pieces that you make? I've been fortunate enough because I worked in the industry that I acquired fabric during the time that I was working. And I also met this young lady that knew someone that worked in the um, garment industry. And in the garment industry, you have to have private haulers to come take away the, uh, the things you throw away. And so the uh, managers would let her come in and get the garbage of stuff that was thrown away. Oh, wow. And um, we just happened to start talking on the train because she was knitting. And I said, oh, I knit too. And we got in the conversation and for about a year straight, she came to me with supplies. I have enough supplies that I probably could work for two or three years without (laughs) buying anything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so... And I've seen some of your your recent work on Instagram. Was there mm-hmm. a, a hat made out of it, like an upcycled bag, or a? Be- I think I saw a, a a part of a jacket from. You did, you <laughs> did. I am. Uh, most people now realize that I will do that, and they give me stuff. This is a jacket that a customer gave me. Wow. And I've been sitting on it for a year, and all of a sudden today. I say, wow, I got to cut this out. Today's the day. Yeah, I got to figure out how I'm going to use this because I just figured, and I got the whole jacket. So I say, I got to do something with this. Amazing. So I like upcycling. Yeah. Yep. And when you're, um, so most of that's gifted to you. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yep, yep. And when you're when you're thinking about upcycling, what are the, some of the mm-hmm. things that you're like looking for in the fabric, or how does how does that start? Do you do you know what the hat looks like, or is it more about what the the fabric's telling you it wants to be? Kind of what the fabric is telling me what it wants to be, and I've kind of learned in my years of doing millineries, especially blocking. I might start off with an idea in my head, but the block. The, no, I should say the hat form won't mold to the block that the way that is intended. 
And so I kind of learned to just go with it. And I even sometimes just say, okay, God, just guide me in whatever way you want me to take this hat to go. And I just go with the flow of it. So when you're making a piece, are you making them individually or do you kind of form a whole collection of pieces at once? Um, I kind of do individually. Um, I really won't say that I do collections. I just go by whatever I pick up and I say, oh, I want to work with this. And that's how I go with it. Amazing. And for your, for the sale of your hats, do your Mm -hmm. customers come to you directly or do you have retail outlets you're selling through? How does that work for you? I have direct customers now, but I was selling with Linda Pagan uh, in the city. I also sold with um, another hat shop in uh, Madison, New Jersey, who's one of our uh, guild members, Monica, and a boutique store that closed up that was in the neighborhood. But it's a lot of word of mouth of um, people see my stuff and, and, and then I go to markets and sell at markets too. Amazing. Yep. And when you're creating, you're, you're making a studio space of your own, where, where is that? This is my home. This is, <laughs> this is my studio. I'm blessed that I have a huge apartment. I live alone. So this is, this is my living room slash studio. I work here sometimes and then I have a walk-in closet that I turned into a studio where I have my machine and I sew and I have my blocks in there. It's amazing. And you're based in New York City, is that correct? Yep. I'm right in the heart of the city. I'm five blocks from Empire State Building, about seven blocks from Macy's. That's amazing. Such an amazing space to be in. It is. I got lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> um, and the hats you sell um, to your clients, where are they mainly mm-hmm. wearing those? Um, I sell a lot of casual hats, so they wear every day. And then I have some customers that I wear to church or if they're going to a fancy um, dinner or whatever they want to wear, they wear I wear my hats. I will put on a fancy hat and get dressed and go to Macy's and walk through Macy's because I don't feel like a hat. uh, I have to have somewhere special to go to wear a hat. Every day I go out, I get dressed, I wear a hat. And I grew up at a time where my teacher taught me that everything has to match. So I have to always match. So I always have on every, I have a mask on that matches my outfit. They usually match my hat and all my clothes always match. That requires quite a collection of, of hats to go with everything then, doesn't it? Um, I have a lot of hats. <laughs> and yeah. Dressing, like dressing to coordinate, um, is that something you, do you have quite a, a set um, style you like to dress to or it's kind of quite broad and you're experimenting with how that, how your outfits come together? Um, I have a, a few friends that's designers and I buy from them. I don't shop as much like in stores to buy clothes. I shop for shoes. I like pieces that are 
um, made by somebody that's unusual. I have my own style, so I wear whatever my fancy um, fits me. I don't buy off the rack to wear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned in there about the um, Milliners Guild. Um, mm -hmm. Have you? Have, how long have you been involved with the Milliners Guild for? Uh, I think this year is either ten or eleven years. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And what's some of the um, the events you've been involved with um, through the guild? Okay, um, we had hats at the Met Museum Gallery Store for a exhibit, uh, they were doing a rock and roll exhibit. So we did hats that uh, was in the theme of rock and roll. And I did a hat dedicated to Prince and B.B. King, cause I like blues music. So I made a, a hat for B.B. King and one for Prince. Uh, we've been in fashion shows, uh, we have uh, did uh, other exhibits at the New York, um, what is it, the New York uh, Arts Club. We had exhibits there. We did an exhibit at FIT that was called One Block Many Milliners, which we had one block and everybody had the block two hats off of it, but nobody could tell each other what you were doing. Oh, really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it, everybody came up with different hats. Some people cut the, the uh, crown off the hats and just did all kinds of stuff. So that was really nice. Uh, we've had um, um, exhibits on 38th Street. They have a window there in the garment industry that's dedicated to artists. So they have let us have the window twice for a month where we set up uh, uh, two exhibits at. What else have we did? I've done a lot. We had an exhibit at um, Arts Westchester where we had um, hats in there. Um, I've had the pleasure of, what was it? Two years, three years ago, unto my knowledge, Stephen Jones did a hat and named it after me. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a surprise. He was doing um, some research on um, Black women wearing hats and he came to my house and I happened to have a hat, a, a, a Zulu hat, an original Zulu hat. But he also knows I like working in leather. So um, he did a Zulu inspired hat out of leather and I didn't know, and one of the members called me and said, did you know Stephen named the hat after you? I was like, no, are you kidding? Really? And so she sent me a picture of the hat and I sent him a message. I said, oh my God, I love the hat. And he said to me, um, he said to me, I'm glad you like the hat because I didn't get your permission before I decided to ask you, could I make the hat after you? And all I was thinking was my permission. Oh my God, he doesn't need my permission. So I, I, I still live on cloud nine about that. An amazing story. Yeah. yeah. 
So with that research, the, the Zulu hat, could you tell me a little bit about that style of hat and um, do you wear that style of hat yourself or what's the history of that for you? And it's actually a tribe called the Zulu tribe. And this is the style hat that they made. They make, and this hat is all wire. This entire piece here is wire, and it is, I would say, at least five pounds or so. And you know, I don't feel wire in here, but the entire top is wire. Wow. Yeah. And my boyfriend went to South Africa, and he brought it back for me. Really but cool. it's it, yeah it's like oh now I shaved my hair so I can wear before I couldn't really wear because I didn't I had hair but now I can wear it. but I never wore it out maybe I'll wear it out today Dress <laughs> with the outfit and that's important yeah yeah <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> and so the gale has been um it's really been good. And, and then you have the camaraderie of other, other milliners and we bounce off of each other. And I still, I still take classes. I still feel that even though I know I can always better myself or learn a different way of doing something. So I still enjoy taking classes and learning too. It's amazing. And that's such an important approach that, you know, there's so much, there's so many different materials and different ways that you can use them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I went to um, uh, France and took a class with Dylan Wallwork and during that um, trip, the owner of the Chateau took us to factories where they actually made hats. And that's when I learned about this material called ginseng which is uh, made from a palm tree in um, the Philippines. And I had never seen it before. And they let us buy some of their materials and I was in heaven. And it is such, I mean, it has such a, an ability to it. That's what I love about it. I could crush this up and put it in a suitcase and it springs right back up. It's amazing, uh, really amazing material. And I believe it's only right now, maybe only one or two places that sell it in the United States. You still have to get it from Europe. So I, I really fell in love and I like working with that material. Such, an, such a, uh, it's a unique one. There's not really another like it in the military material world. It isn't. It isn't, it has its own character. And it actually take the weavers one day to do one meter. Wow. Yeah, and it's woven on a wooden loom. So it's, um, it's, it's to me, it's a treasure. I, 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 I like it. Not a lot of people like working with it, but I love working with it. Yeah. And do you purchase much from uh, the local suppliers in the US? Uh, yeah, because um, uh, Manhattan Co. is like three blocks away from me. And the other uh, supplier that used to be here that was really big was um, Manny's. And they closed up. But Manhattan, the uh, owner of Manhattan Co. worked for Manny for years. But unfortunately, now so many of the... Um, 
things in the garment industry is just gone. It's uh, totally different. When I first came to New York in 1976, it was not unusual to see racks of clothes being pushed from one manufacturer to another, fur coats, all of that is like in walking distance. 27th Street was the furriers. Uh, um, past 30th Street was sportswear. So you knew the different manufacturers. That's all changed now. So it's, it's really different. Yeah. It's such a such an interesting little, oh, not little, big hub of, of the city, the garment district, and mainly in the center of Manhattan, isn't it? It is, it is. FIT is right on 27th and 7th Avenue. So I'm like five blocks from there, four blocks from there. So yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. your history in the, the garment industry, how do you mm -hmm. think that um, changes or impacts how you approach hat making? Um, it helps me because I was a buyer, um, I worked production, but I also had to buy fabric and trims. So, it, it, and I work with um, the factories that were making our garments. So I, I got a chance to go to the factory. I watched them lay out patterns. And then also um, working in the industry, I worked in the uh, workroom right by the designers and the sewers. So it helped me form how I lay out a pattern. You know, I, I know how to manipulate and lay a pattern out and get the most out of it. But especially in terms of leather, because leather has no, no, um, grain toward anything so I can turn each little way and fudge and get pieces out and then I can say oh well that's that's going to be in the seam allowance so if I'm missing like a quarter of an inch nobody's going to know because I'm going to sew that so it has really gave me an advantage of laying out patterns and really taking my time and if I'm working with a plaid and now that I'm making masks I'll lay one piece out and then lay the corresponding piece where that plaid matches up with each other. So it, it, it has given me an advantage of also filling fabrics, knowing the feel of the fabric, because I like fabrics that have weight to it, and also knowing um, the weave of it if, is one woven tighter than the other weave so it has this advantage to it and then i i was a i bought buttons i bought elastic so it really helps me now because i can go over in the industry and some some of the suppliers i work with are still there you know oh wow yeah yeah and how has um how you make hats yourself changed since mm -hmm. you started making um when I first started making hats, I was, I did exactly what I was taught in school and I didn't vary from it. So my hats were, you know, just what I was taught in school. And one day I was working on the hat and I've heard people say, oh, they cut the felt and I had never tried it before. So I said, well, I'm gonna try slicing this felt and see 
it was such a liberation for me. <laughs> and I just, and then I took a plate one day and blocked uh, uh, a hat off a plate and so forth. So that it just, it was like a liberation to me. And that was the beginning of, I believe, when I really came into my own because I started to um, experiment with different things and felt comfortable with doing it. And when I really felt like I was good with what I did was my instructor that taught me, asked me to make hats for her. And so that's when I said, I've made it. That is such an honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you make her? Um, she wanted a fur hat and then she wanted a fascinator. And so I made her a fascinator and hat was black from a, I, I want to say maybe it was a candy dish or a jewelry dish. And it is, um, it's aluminum and I blocked the hat from there. And when she seen it, she wanted a pink cinema hat of the same shape. So I made that for her and I made a fur hat from her. And the funny thing is I still talk with her. Yeah. So um, uh, two years ago when we were doing uh, the window display, I was making a mini top hat and I had forgot a technique. So I called her and say, Nora, I'm having a problem with, I had to do the hat five or six times, change stuff, send her a picture every time. No, that's not yet. Fix that, send me a picture. So I send her, no, you still, you pull in where you're not supposed to be pulling. You're supposed to be wrapping. And it went on about five times. I got off, I told somebody, I said, if I'd have known she was going to send me through that, I never would have called her, but I laugh about it. <laughs> <laughs> After the hat's done, it's now funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's nice that I can still call my instructor and talk to her and say, oh, I, you know, I forgot how to do this. And she'll walk me through it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an honor. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And um, being part of the Guild Network, as well it must mm -hmm. be an amazing to because it's all quite um mostly i spoke with uh laura but and she's mm -hmm. in texas but most of you are based around new york is that correct uh quite a few but now we have a lot of members that's all over uh virginia uh tennessee uh minnesota uh upstate new york i'm trying to think of other um uh, I think Florida. So we, we have quite a, I think we're up to 50 something members. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I saw you were at the Easter parade. Yes. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that because we don't, uh, I'm based in Melbourne. We don't, we don't have something like that. So what's the Easter parade like? Uh, I can't think of how I think they've been doing the Easter parade for well over 50 years. And it started out with people just going to church and then meeting uh, on Fifth Avenue with their hats on. So when I joined the guild, 
we start we they were already doing it so it was a ritual so every easter at a certain time we met up photographers was there and so uh people are out with crazy hats they made with eggs and bunnies but then you have the serious people out there that's dressed uh it's a, a group that dressed in the 40s style, 50 styles, and I love their clothes. And they're always dressed to the T. And they, they come out and do the Easter parade. But it is a huge uh, deal. And we usually are out there from, I want to say like 8 in the morning, and it might be 1 o'clock. And sometimes we are standing in the spot and you have so many people taking your pictures and we give her, no, 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 don't move. So you got to pose again. And, you know, and I say, boy, now we see how it feels to have paparazzi. Because by the time you leave there, you're so tired and you're tired. And, and then can, can, we, can my kid take a picture? Sure, sure. Come on, come on, come on. So it is, it is really something special. So. And this year, we just got together with a group. I guess it was eight or nine of us, but so different. But we still had a good time. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And do, so do you think that people are, are drawn to, um, it's an amazing, like, how you guys present yourselves? There's quite a lot of pride in the outfits you're wearing and the hats are spectacular. Yeah, and we, we tell them that we're promoting handmade hats. So we always talk about the fact that we're a guild and that all of our members make our hats. Some have shops, but the 99% of us all make our hats by hand. So, and, and now people know because we have one photographer and actually she's from Australia too. Her name is Susie Lang. She never misses an Easter parade so that she can take pictures. It's important so, yeah. to capture them as well. It is, it is. So we've we've ended up in uh, Time, uh, the New York Time. I even had my sister-in-law who's in South Carolina call me and say, I seen you on TV. I was like, really? <laughs> she said, yeah, Flash, I seen you in the Easter parade. I was like, oh my God. So it is fun. So the next day we all running through papers. Did we make it in the paper? And then we had the pleasure of, I don't know if you know about Bill Cunningham. No, tell me about Bill. He was a photographer, but he was originally a milliner. And when he went into photography, he was, uh, he was a character. He rode around the city on an old bike. He always dressed down. He lived in the same apartment, I think, 50 something years by Carnegie Hall. Very, very meager, but he started out as a millionaire and then he became a photographer. So during Easter, he would come take pictures, but he never said anything. He would just snap a picture and before you know it, you say, oh, there you go, he's gone. So whenever he took our picture, it was such an honor in the year that he died or the year, he might've died the next year. For the first time, he actually came to us and we were, um, I, um, were we by St. Patrick's? 
we were on the side of St. Patrick's and he actually had us, oh, line up this way and do this. And he never done that before. He just take your picture and off. And we were like, oh my God, Bill Cunningham. He took our picture and he talked with us and we were in seven heaven. And I think the next year he passed away. And he was, I think in his maybe 80s or something. But he was known as the, the, the photographer that was always on this bike that probably was from the 50s. <laughs> That's such a, yeah. such a, such a character. <laughs> he was, he was very, very, yeah, yeah. Um, so for your business, what does mm -hmm. a week in your business look like at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm not busy. But I still keep myself busy making hats. If you could see behind me, I have two, I have three hat racks. <laughs> I have plenty of hats and I'm not even selling, but I got all of these materials and it keeps me busy and I enjoy what I'm doing. So I continue to make hats. And one girlfriend, you had a thousand hats in your house and you never, and I was like, well, it makes me happy. So, you know, it kills the time for me. And I like working with my hands. So, you know, it's a, and I challenge myself too, you know. That's fantastic. So and yeah. how much of a balance do you, you're on social media and you have, um, mm -hmm. do you have a website or an Etsy store, I think, is that right? I have an Etsy store that I need to work on, but that's a <laughs> lot of time on Etsy. So I only have um, maybe 30 hats on there. So I really got to work on that. I used to have a website. But I didn't sell off the website. I sold one hat off the website and it was to somebody I knew. <laughs> so I was like, well, I didn't need the website for that. So it's kind of word of mouth. And um, I just, you know, and, and I have all the materials. So it's not like I'm rushing, even though I still buy. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> but it's not like I need to buy is I want to buy, but I have enough materials to keep me busy. So why not? Exactly. And yeah. so, and then you're purchasing materials that you're really interested in making rather than if they're just kind of there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at times I just give stuff away. It's like, it needs a new home. And it's like, are you sure? And I do, I call it the happy dance. I said, oh, it's got a new home. It's not coming with me anymore. And I'm happy. <laughs> and they was like, are you sure? I said, I got enough stuff in my house. If I don't have to see that again, I am so happy. So yeah. <laughs> and what's what's something you're working on the, at the moment that you're excited about? <laughs> Um, actually, we decided one of the members came up with the idea that we should do something for women in nursing homes for Mother's Day. So we came up with the idea to do headbands and give them to a nursing home. So um, we have to have a man in a couple of weeks. And today, I decided was today to get started. So it's like I'm having fun. I was only going to do two or three. I got five that I'm working on because I start pulling out stuff and I was like, oh, well, okay. So I'm just having fun doing that. 
That sounds like an amazing, amazing project to be able to share, share millinery with people. It is. And I think uh, the nursing home is going to enjoy it. And actually, we plan to go forward and make it a yearly thing is oh, to uh, be able to, to give to um, people in the nursing home. That's so cool. And did you make a piece for the uh, the Guild did a display for the votes for women? I did. I'd love okay. to hear about that piece. So I picked my suffragette as uh, was Dorothy Heights. And she had been a part of the civil rights movement for years. And so when I was um, going through getting information about her, I found out she was a big hat wearer. She had over 250 hats in her collection. So I said, oh my God, well, that really puts the pressure on me. I gotta make something that represents her. And I'm not a big user of cinema, but I decided I'm gonna do a cinema hat. And I was really proud of myself because it came out really good. And of course, we had to do the colors of the United States with was white, purple, and yellow. So this is my hat and uh, to Dorothy Heights. But the other thing I found out, the milliner that made her hat name is Vanilla Bean. She is 101 years old. Wow. Her shop just closed up last year because of the pandemic. That's incredible. Yeah. And so the uh, Black History Museum here in Washington actually have an exhibit of uh, some of her hats and I think a replica of her shop, which I haven't had a chance to get there yet, but it's amazing. 101 years old. It's incredible. Yeah. Did yeah. you get, have you had a chance to meet her? I haven't. Uh, I hope that one day I can, but I would love to just get to Washington to see the exhibit of uh, her, but she started out, she was an elevator operator and it was uh, a millinery store in the building where she worked at. So she just went in, never made hats before, just start buying supplies, just start making hats. And I guess somewhere like 15, 20 years down the line, the gentleman that owned the millinery supply store was uh, retiring and sold it to her. And that's how she uh, got into millinery. That's a really lovely story. It is, it is. So um, yeah, I was um, very happy with the way it came out. And like I say, when I read that she had over 250 hats in her collection. I was like, well, I got to really honor her because I can't just send up some crap to somebody that owns that many hats. No. So yeah, it, it was it was fun doing. That was the and um it's such a such a beautiful piece and making a cloche. Was that uh -huh. um choosing a cloche style? Was had you seen her wearing one or how did you just start decide on that style? Uh she wore mostly wide brim hats and I've seen pictures of her. And actually I think um 
it was three or four years ago. No, no, like three years ago, they honored her on the stamp and she has on the hat. And I found out it's lavender, but I found out Vanilla Bean um, designed the hat and it was actually pink, but because uh, Mrs. Height's favorite color was lavender, they changed the hat to lavender and she had on the la lavender suit. So she's on our purchases stamp. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's such a, it was such an, um, in a great exhibition because uh, mm -hmm. when uh, looking online, it had you mm -hmm. had the the suffragette and then the piece that you had all made, and it yeah. was an amazing digital exhibition. Yeah, and everybody had their own different interpretation and what that suffrage meant to them. I think a couple of people had family members that they chose to honor, which was wonderful. So yeah, and, and that's the amazing thing is because uh, being in a group as big as we are, we all have different tastes. And so everybody, uh, and I, I like to say that your spirit has a lot to do with it. I can look at um, say Sally's hat and say, oh, I wanna do it, but your spirit is is different so even if you try to copy something somebody did it never comes out the same because it's the character in you that comes out in that hat so that that's important too yeah that's such a great thing mm -hmm. well thank you so much for talking hats with me today kathy it's been thank you so lovely to be able to connect with you and i can't wait to see some of your next pieces <laughs> thank you I, I i certainly appreciate it you see i i have fun fun with talking about hats because it just brings me pleasure to make hats thank you for listening to this episode of millinery info with kathy i'd like to thank her patreon podcast sponsors fat millinery house of adorn Catherine cherry millinery had academy be Unique Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Mags, Hat Language, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, The Millinery Association of Australia, and Welcome Hats by Lee Crew. You can find a link to each of their businesses in the show notes. We really appreciate their support, so check out what they've been up to. You or your business could show your support for Millinery Pro through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers podcast sponsor which means your business or event is mentioned in our podcast link included on the millinery info website and in the monthly newsletter this is from just $15 per month the other tier is a supporter tier this starts from $5 and it's for those who would like to more quietly show their support but to help us continue to produce the content you see on millinery info if you have any questions about becoming a patreon please reach out i'd love to hear from you Otherwise, to sign up, you can visit www.patreon.com forward slash millinery info.